On Friday night, this is nothing to do with the passage, I just want to tell you. On Friday night, I was praying in a small group, and for the first time, I heard an audible voice uh, in response to our prayers. And it said this, Sorry, I didn't catch that. Please try again. Don't mix technology and theology. Uh, Right, um, in the next few weeks, the job advert will go out for a new vicar. It will contain a description of the parish and of uh, the church and of the kind of person that the church is looking for. What's it going to say? What makes somebody qualified to come and be a vicar here? If you were interviewing, what would you be looking for? For the most of you who aren't interviewing, what sort of vicar do you want to have leading you through the next phase of the church? What we're going to do tonight is to think about one of the vicars in the New Testament Uh, and how he ended up where he did. Peter writes this section uh, that we read in 1 Peter 5 as an elder talking to other elders. Uh, Roughly speaking, that's just one of the words that the New Testament uses for vicar. And uh, he gives them some hints on how elders are supposed to behave. What he says is not abstract theology. It's deeply personal. And as you read it through in the light of the Gospels, you can see how everything that he's been through, the good and the bad, has moulded him and shaped him into the elder that God wants him to be. So we're going to try and read 1 Peter 5 alongside uh, Luke's account of the events leading up to the crucifixion and try to see the effect that that night had on Peter and how it comes out when he then writes uh, to other elders in the church. If you've got a Bible, try to keep both uh, passages handy. We're going to be in Luke 22... Um, and in 1 Peter 5, um, and we'll be flicking a bit back and forth um, between the two. I don't know if you've ever studied a, a Bible character as opposed to a passage or a book. It's easy to think of the Bible as having been written in a kind of holy vacuum where the authors just wrote down divine dictation, uh, where it's irrelevant who the authors actually were because they were just the means by which God's words got transmitted. But it's not like that at all. You've only got to read the Psalms to see how much passion and emotion went into the human side of the authorship. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? That's not dictation. The Bible is God's word, but that doesn't stop it also being the heartfelt words of the human authors, shaped by everything that they've lived through. Uh, Well, Peter was the kind of unofficial leader of the Twelve. He's never designated as the leader, but every time the Twelve are listed, Peter's name is listed first. And uh, on many occasions in the Gospels, he speaks for the whole group. So to give you one example, uh, uh, Jesus sees lots of the wider group of disciples deserting him, and he asks the Twelve, you're not going to leave me as well, are you? And it's Peter who responds, and he says what they're all thinking. Lord, where will we go? Of course we're not leaving. But he had a major weakness as well. Sometimes you meet people whose key attribute is enthusiasm, and it's not always tempered by a willingness to think things through beforehand. Uh, A tendency for a quick emotional response, and sometimes it's a helpful response, uh, sometimes it leads to trouble. Peter was one of those. Uh, So when Jesus walks on water, it's Peter who sees Jesus coming towards the boat, and he wants to get out and walk on water as well. And it starts well, but then he looks around at the waves, and he panics, and and down he sinks. Or when Jesus predicts his death, uh, he tells his disciples that the plan is for him to be arrested and killed and rise again. 
And Peter decides to have a quiet word with Jesus. He takes him to one side and he tells Jesus not to be so silly. He actually tells Jesus off. Peter knows what's best, you see. He's strong enough to protect Jesus from any attacks, even protect Jesus from himself and make sure everything ends up all right. Uh, that picture of Peter runs right the way through the Gospels, but it comes to a head on the night of the crucifixion, like just about everything else in the Gospels. I want to pick out three little events um, from that night from Luke 22 and, and highlight what Peter thought that being an elder was, what he thought leadership looked like, and then how he came to recognise after the crucifixion what it really meant. So the first one is uh, Luke 22, 24 to 27. So this is a, a little bit before the bit that we read. We read a fairly long chunk of, of Luke 22. I didn't think we could really have um, all of it. So this is from uh, a bit before where we read. So this one doesn't, in fact, name Peter specifically, but it involves all of the disciples, including Peter. This is right after Jesus has just told them that this is his last night before his death. He's going to be killed that night. And one of the 12 is going to betray him. And then we read in verse 24 a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Jesus is about to die for them, and they want to know who's going to be in charge. See, that's what Peter, and in fact all of them, thought that leadership meant. Taking charge, bossing others about. Peter thought that being a leader meant being a T-Rex. This is, this is Reuben's T-Rex here. Uh, you're the boss because you're the biggest and the best and everyone else has to submit to you because you're the biggest and the best. And Jesus had to correct them all. Not so with you. It's not like that in my kingdom. I am among you as one who serves. But I don't think Peter really understood it at that point. The second one is uh, verses 31 to 34, where Jesus tells Peter that Peter's going to deny him. So verse 31, uh, Peter, uh, Jesus calls him Simon here, but this is Simon Peter, so same person. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now, Peter doesn't get it. He thinks he can stand on his own two feet. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Peter says, I've got this. I'm strong enough to get through this. Satan or no Satan, I am ready for the fight. Peter thought that leadership meant being strong and brave and getting through things by sheer force of will. So he thought that being a leader meant being Hulk. Whatever opposition you face, you can get through it by brute force. And Jesus had to correct him. Y you're not ready, Peter. You're, you're not as strong as you think you are. You're going to come under attack. I've prayed for you that you'll recover, but you're going to fall flat on your face tonight. I don't think Peter understood that at that point either. The third one is uh, verses 49 to 51. When Jesus' followers saw, that, saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. Peter's not named here, but we know from John's gospel that that was Peter with the sword. Peter thought that leadership was about taking the fast route to glory. He thought that being a leader meant swinging a sword. Submission is for wimps. Give me a sword and I will fight my way to the kingdom. And Jesus had to correct him again. Verse 51, no more of this. That's not how my kingdom works. And he touched the man's ear and he healed him. Jesus heals his enemies even while he's being arrested. And again, I don't think Peter understood it yet. You can probably tell by now that Reuben has perhaps some of the same issues that Peter had. <laughs> he's not quite sure what the question is, but the answer is definitely brute force. 
By the time Peter writes 1 Peter 5 and addresses other elders, and he gives them advice on what Christian leadership looks like, he has totally changed. He's got rid of the T-Rex, he's got rid of the Hulk smash fist, and he's got rid of the sword. He has recognised how hopeless his approach was, and he's understood what Christian leadership actually means. Now, what is made the, what's made the difference? What's made Peter realise he can't stand on his own two feet and swing his sword around and fight his way to glory? Well, I think it all started to change later on that night. Peter thought he was the finished article, that he was the hero and that he could do it all. And yet, a few hours after the events that we just read, he'd seen Jesus arrested and led away, and he had denied his master three times. Three times he said he had nothing to do with Jesus and didn't even know him. After the third denial, Luke tells us, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine how that felt? The text said he went outside and he wept bitterly. How do you think he spent the next couple of days? It wasn't just that Jesus was dead, but he knew he was a personal failure. He was done. There was no way back for him. He was humbled and crushed and broken. And then, wonderfully, Jesus came back. God vindicated him by raising him from the dead. Jesus appeared to Peter, and they had a conversation that's so private that it's mentioned in Luke 24, but we don't know any of the contents. But that must have been where Jesus started to put the pieces back together again. And then right at the end of John's Gospel, in a conversation that we do have recorded, Jesus asks Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter gets a chance to undo his denial of Jesus a few days before. He denied Jesus three times, and three times Jesus asks him, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And that's what prepares Peter for Jesus to say to him three times, feed my sheep. What qualifies Peter to be a shepherd of God's flock, an elder in the church, is not that he's strong and brave and knows how to handle a sword, but that he's come to have recognised that he is utterly bankrupt and he has nothing of his own to bring, but he's been restored and forgiven by Jesus. And Jesus even tells him what it's going to involve. He tells Peter that he's going to be martyred. You can find that in John 21. This time there is no bravado, there is no fighting back because Peter's now ready to submit to his master. And all of this being broken and put back together again is what enables him to feed Jesus' sheep. So now come to 1 Peter 5. Peter addresses other elders in the church as an elder himself, verse 1, and he tells them what that looks like. And he remembers what he had thought leadership was, wanting to be in charge being strong and brave and able to cope with anything and fighting for glory. He remembers all of that. And in this short passage here, he turns it all on its head. So do you remember Peter really wanted to be in charge? He thought he was strong and brave enough to deal with anything and he thought he could fight his way to glory. And we'll see how he turns all of that upside down in 1 Peter 5 when he talks to other elders in the church. This is particularly important for a church that's looking for a new vicar. What kind of vicar do you want? So first off, you remember Peter, along with the other disciples, really wanted to be in charge. He wanted to be the greatest. And he heard Jesus say, not so with you. I am among you as one who serves. And he then saw Jesus demonstrate it by going to the cross for him. And now he realises what Christian leadership has to look like modelled on Jesus. Feed my lambs says Jesus. So this is what Peter writes in uh, 1 Peter 5, 2 and 3. Be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. 
What does a good vicar look like, Peter? Is it somebody who really wants to be in charge? No, it's someone who sets an example to the flock, someone who shepherds the flock, and who's eager to serve rather than beating people into submission. There are plenty of Christian leaders out there who are desperate to be in charge, leaders who want to be a T-Rex. Leadership is a seductive thing. If you want an example of how this kind of thing can go wrong, um, I've been listening to a podcast recently uh, called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. It's an eye-opening account of what happens when this drives church leaders. Uh, Mars Hill was the church in Seattle where Mark Driscoll uh, was the pastor. At its height, it had over 12,000 people attending each week and 260,000 people listening to their sermon online each week. And it all collapsed more or less overnight. If you want to understand what, what can happen, um, if you have a narcissistic bully for a leader, I recommend uh, listening to that podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Watch out for vicars who want to be a T-Rex and just want to boss people about. Now, secondly, do you remember Peter thought he was strong enough to deal with anything? Jesus told him he was going to cru- be crucified, and Peter replied, I'm ready to go with you to prison and death. And he'd heard Jesus say, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you all like wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Peter slept when Jesus had asked him to keep watch, and he heard Jesus say, get up and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. And he saw Jesus show how to resist the devil, watching and praying in the garden, staying faithful to the end where Peter failed. And Peter now realises that Christian leaders face a hard battle. And he says, verses 7 to 9, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. What does a good vicar look like, Peter? Is it someone who's confident in his own abilities and knows he can tough it out? No. It's someone who knows that there's a real spiritual dimension, who knows that there's fierce opposition and who stays alert and sober and spends time in prayer as Jesus did, sweating drops of blood for the upcoming battle. The temptation for Christian leaders is always to try to be Hulk, to rely on their own strength and to trust themselves to get through whatever they have to face, to forget that we're in a spiritual battle, that we need to stay awake and alert, and that everything we do needs to be clothed in prayer and humility, or we'll find we're out of our depth. Even Jesus, who of all people you might think wouldn't need help, routinely got up early to pray. Watch out for vicars who want to be Hulk and who think that they're strong enough and brave enough to cope. Now, finally, you remember Peter thought he could take the fast track to glory, hacking somebody's ear off with his sword. And he heard Jesus rebuke him and turn the fighting into healing. He saw Jesus love his enemies by going silently to the cross, not fighting, but submitting to death to bring healing to those who were crucifying him, not taking the shortcut to glory, but waiting for God to vindicate him. And now Peter realises that Christian leadership is not about fighting for glory. It's not about glory now, but it's about being prepared to suffer now in anticipation of glory to come later. So he says this, verse 10, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. What does a good vicar look like, Peter? Is it someone who's looking to fight for victory and come out on top of the pile? 
No, it's someone who understands that Jesus gave up his glory to suffer for others and calls his followers to do the same and wait patiently for the glory to come when Jesus returns. This, again, is so often a temptation in a world of instant everything. I'm going to have what I want and I'm going to have it now. When I was a kid, if I wanted to watch a TV programme, I had to be in at the time that it was going to be on. I had to wait for it and... uh, If I wasn't there, that was it. I missed it. If somebody else wanted to watch something else, tough. Then along came video recorders, and I still had to wait, but at least I could watch it whenever I I, um, felt like it after it had been on. Now we just stream everything. I can binge a whole box set whenever I like. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but that, along with so many other things about the modern world, does give me a get-it-now mentality, a feeling that I have a right to have whatever I want and whenever I want it. The whole world also tells me that I can be anything I want to be, that if I put my mind to it, I can accomplish anything. It tells me that if the world isn't exactly how I want it to be, I should shout and fight until I get what I want. The peaceful protest that beats up those who disagree into giving in. And that happens on the left and it happens on the right of the political spectrum. But Jesus gave up his rights in order to suffer and die on behalf of others and his followers have to do the same. Watch out for vicars who haven't understood that or can't accept it and want to swing the sword and fight for glory now. Hopefully you can see how Peter's own experience comes out in this passage. Everything he thought leadership was, he came to realise was wrong. Jesus didn't reject him for that. He didn't disqualify him as ever being a leader in the church, but Jesus took Peter's pride, he showed him it was destined to end in failure, and then he picked him up and he healed him, and he made him into the leader that Jesus wanted him to be. And everything that Peter writes, you see, comes from his having been broken by his own failure and then gently put back together again. He's discovered that he's not as strong as he thought, that what he needs is Jesus' grace. He needed to stop exalting himself and learn some humility and wait for God to restore him. And that's why he says, perhaps the most important thing in this passage, verses five and six, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. And that is it. That is exactly the heart of Christian leadership. It's having the humility to recognise that you can't do it your own way. That's what you need in a vicar. But you know, this is not just for elders in the church. It's critical when it comes to finding a new vicar, but it's not just for vicars. Peter starts by addressing elders and he tells them to be shepherds of the flock. And that just doesn't apply to everyone. We're not all supposed to be shepherds in God's church. But the rest of the passage applies not just to church leaders, but to all of us. So verse 5, all of you clothe yourselves with humility. See, we all have a tendency to want to be a T-Rex and boss people about. We all have a tendency to try to be Hulk, to be strong and brave and think we can do things ourselves. We all have a tendency sometimes to swing the sword and try and fight for glory. And in all of this, we have to find some humility as Jesus did and follow him if necessary, even to the cross. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Let's pray as we close. Heavenly Father, we know that you have plans for Emmanuel. We don't know what the plans are, but we know that uh, you have your hand on this church. And we pray that as the search goes out for a new vicar, uh, that you would find somebody who is not trying to be a T-Rex, 
who is not trying to be Hulk, who is not trying to swing the sword, uh, but somebody who is prepared to follow Jesus to the cross um, in humility. And we pray for all of us, our tendency to try to fight for things, to try to boss people around, to try to be strong and brave and tough it out ourselves. And we pray that you would give us that same uh, humility, that you'd help us to follow our master who went to the cross for others. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.